0: This evening, we put in the um, Facebook, we put in the bulletin some of the questions we're going to be looking at here for tonight, and uh, we've talked about this, referred to this a few times, a couple of times we've gotten into this in the time we've been here as a church, but we're going to look at probably what I, well, well, at least what I consider to be the greatest mistake of the Old Testament. (laughs) There is none worse, there is none, has greater consequences than this one mistake and this mistake is not made by a heathen king. It is made, not made by an idolatrous king of Judah or king of Israel. It is made by one of the most God-fearing kings in the entire Old Testament. And it is the grossest mistake and nearly cost the plan of God. And uh, we'll get into that here tonight. But uh, just in, in getting us ready for that. Sometimes we, there are some organizations out there who have as their goal to be 100% efficient Mm -hmm. and nothing less than 100% efficient will suffice. I heard there was a story of the Marriott Corporation and one of the things they would do is they would have these shoppers that would go on through and they would uh, ask for customer service from different employees and if they got the service that they were expecting, that they needed, that the company wanted them to give, they would hand them a card, and underneath that card was a uh, $10 voucher, $10 gift card to, for someplace for doing good work. If not, they got an oops card. An oops card meant that you had to go back through and be retrained. You were allowed three oops cards. They, they said everybody ought to be retrained at least three times, and then after that, I think you were gone. But they expected 100% efficiency, they expected you to respond. 100% of the time the way they wanted you to. Well, what would happen if we only had 99% efficiency in some of the things we depend on? Now, I did not write this. Someone else did. And it was written in 1996. So it might be dated a little bit. But uh, I think if anything, it only gets worse. If we were 99% efficient, the electric service in your home would be off for almost 15 minutes a day. 14 minutes and 40 seconds specifically. 1.7 million pieces of first-class mail would be lost each day. 1.7 million per day would be lost. 35,000 newborn babies would be dropped by doctors or nurses each year. 200,000 people getting the wrong drug prescriptions each day. Three misspelled words on the average page of type. Two million people dying from food poisoning each year. That was written by Thomas Stevinen. It was uh, uh, written in uh, People Power and Moody. That's, uh, that's uh, We all know about NASA. NASA, if they're not 100% efficient, people die. <laughs> and we've seen some of the, the results of, of that. But here we're going to take a look at Jehoram. And I put in your outline, there's only one way to classify the failure of Jehoram, and that is nuts. In verse 16 of chapter 8, which is where we left off, we looked at the death of Ben-Hadad last time. That was about two weeks ago. Answering the question, why does God let bad people live when he knows they're going to do horrible things? So we're off that one now, we're on to this one. In the fifth year of Jehoram, the king of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. 2 Kings Kings 8.16. Did I say something different? Oh, we will be in Chronicles eventually, but right now we're in 2 Kings. Okay. It is on mine. (coughs) Sorry about that, guys. 2 Kings eight sixteen is where we're starting here. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised to give him a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Jehoram went to Zaar and, <coughs> and all his chariots with him. Then he arose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him, and the captains of the chariots, and the troops fled to their tents. Thus Edom has been a revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libnah revolted at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah the king of the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram, the king, (coughs) then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. All right, that's the whole passage. Kind of read through it real real quick. (coughs) But here's what we want you to get hold of in this whole passage. We're going to get into Chronicles here more because Chronicles gives us more detail of some of these things that have, had gone on. But Jehoshaphat had a had son. I believe he had about seven sons. And out of those sons, he picked one of them, which was his oldest, to reign in his place. As he, uh, we, we noted in some of the earlier passages here, when Jehoshaphat was making a treaty with the king of Israel, who was at the time, everybody remember Ahab? Bad king, everybody remember? Bad Bad king, bad king, bad wife, bad king. All right, well, we took the product of Ahab, who was a bad king, and his very evil wife, and they took one of their daughters and married them to Jehoshaphat's oldest son. Now, since she is the wife of the oldest son, that would eventually make her to be queen of Judah. Now, here's the problem, and here's the greatest error that was ever made in the Old Testament. Ahab's household has been condemned by God, that every single descendant will die. David's house is blessed by God, so that he will never cease to have someone to reign over the, over the throne of Israel. He will always have someone on the throne. And eventually that will be um, fulfilled with Messiah. Messiah is to come from the line of David. So now you have cursing meet blessing. These are not cursings from the, from the enemy. These are not cursings from man. These are all from God. God pronounced the curse. God pronounced the blessing. Now you've mixed them. And they were mixed by one of the most God-fearing kings, Judahab. Probably the best, the top three kings... In the, uh, well, I don't know, it's, it's, it's tough to tell all the, the difference. We know David, David is one of the, one of the top. Hezekiah, though, it even says to him, there was no king like him before or after. Which before, I would think we're going to include David. Uzziah was, I believe, Jeremiah's favorite, Jeremiah Isaiah. That was his favorite prophet, or favorite king. Just loved Uzziah. And uh, he was a good king. He was a very good king. And Asa, those are top, the top four kings of all Israel. Now Josiah was a real good one too. He was a great reformer. He came on and did the reforming. But these guys already knew God and brought a good relationship with God in. Josiah was learning who God was. He had no idea who he was. Didn't even know about the book. Didn't even know about the law. Nothing. He was learning about all that that sort of stuff. So those four guys are really the top four kings and had the uh, probably the most powerful time as far as reigning in Israel with the armies and, and things like that going on. They had a lot of victories. So, Jehoshaphat is in this number, and despite that, he unites in marriage his son to this house. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see all the ramifications of that union here tonight. In the, in the weeks that are to come, we're going to see some, there is some stuff not even in the Bible, or not in the Bible real strong, about what happens after this chapter that is horrendous. And when you, you'll see how close the plan of God came to being stopped, it is amazing how, cl- how, how close it came. So we're going to see a little bit of it tonight, and God of course wins out in the end. because you all know that David is, a, is in the lineage of or I'm sorry, Christ is in the lineage of, of David. Now first off, we see <clears throat> that these guys are numbered with sinners. In 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. So he was a good king. In 2 Chronicles 18, he goes to war with Ahab. Let's just take a look at verse 31. And so it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. Now, if you remember the story, of this, we did cover this before, but Jehoshaphat and Ahab are together, and they said, you know, can we get a prophet? And so they get a prophet there, and he comes on out, and he says, there are, you know, king of Israel is going to die in battle. So they um, they get together, and Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, look, tell you what, you dress up like a king, I'm going to dress up like a, I'm not a king, and let's go out to the battle. So, Jehoshaphat knows they're coming after the king of Israel, and he's going to be the only king out there dressed up as a king. I, I sometimes wonder about Jehoshaphat. You know, I just, uh, mm, how, d- does the elevator go all the way up to the top floor? I'm just, I'm just not sure that it does. It just, he does some things you just wonder about. You know, the, the first time maybe he, he, he tries to do some things with Israel, and it messes up. And he says, you know what? I just can't. I want to try and help out my brethren, but I just can't do it. They're too, uh, too much against God. And just learn. But he doesn't. He does it again. He does it again. He does it again. And each time it works in total defeat. But it says in uh, here that, that they went out there and they went into battle together. And of course, they all came after Jehoshaphat. So he took off. Hey, I'm not, I'm not him. I'm not him. I know you're going after it, but I'm not him. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to leave you alone. We're not after you. You imagine that? I mean, you've got a king surrounded. You're ready to kill a king. You're in, you're in battle again. Why wouldn't you take him out? I don't understand why they don't do that, but they, they didn't. Jehoshaphat was spared. So that's the first thing we see, is that they are numbered with the sinners. Uh, don't be numbered with sinners. There's the other one there, united with sinners. Jehoshaphat, riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. In 2 Chronicles 18 and verse 1. By marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. And that's when he took his son, his firstborn son, with a daughter of from uh, Ahab. Mm-hmm. And you see it also in Second Kings eight and uh, verse eighteen. We don't need to, to get on over there. Most of these are ones we have read in the in the past. In Second uh, Kings, not too long ago. In Second Kings eight sixteen, now in the fifth year, of the Jehoram, the king of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, and Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He reigned 32 years. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Not very long. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of the king of Israel. But he is a king of Judah. Judah. Just as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised to give him the lamp to him and his sons forever. Now, wouldn't this sound like that the blessing won over the curse? Wouldn't this sound like the blessing won over the curse? It's not exactly the way that it is. But we'll get into that. Now, we're not going to read this in Second Kings chapter 9 and Second Kings chapter 10, we're going to see once again where they're out there transgressing with the sinners, united with the sinners and so forth. We're going to be getting into them in the, in the weeks to come, but um, not tonight. That's just in there so you have the reference to it. T is transgressing. Transgressing with the sinners. Here's the fourth one. Sentenced with the sinners. If you are going to mess around with sinners, if you're going to be united with them, if you're going to transgress with them, if you're going to do all this stuff with them, guess what? When it comes time to sentencing... Yeah. First Kings 19, verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Go return to your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Apel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Now basically you have three hitmen, on the house of Ahab. Three guys that are hit men to the to the house of Ahab. Now, this is a nasty section. We have Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had the son of Jehoram. Jehoram had the son of Ahaziah. Ahaziah went on to, uh, once he was died, the queen mother took over, uh, Athaliah, she took over. And then we have another one. Take a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. We have the uh, rundown from David, kings of Judah, all the way over to Uzziah. I'm sorry, all the way over to the last king of Judah. We're going to read this list out here to you. And Jesse begot David. David was the first king. He begot Solomon. Solomon was the second king. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the third king and that was where the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. That is all in order. Nothing breaks there. Jehoshaphat began. Begot Jehoram. Jehoram or Joram. He's called the same thing in in, uh, different places. And Jehoram begot who? What happened? What happened to Ahaziah? What happened to... uh, What what happened to all these guys? There were three kings that are missing between. we we put this for you. Three kings and a queen usurper are skipped. Three kings and a queen usurper are skipped in this listing here. We go right from Jehoram to Uzziah. And Matthew skips right over these guys. Is that significant? Usually it is. <laughs> Usually it is. Now the queen, Athaliah, is she a descendant of David? No, she is a descendant of Ahab. She has no blood ties to the reign of David at all. None. She comes in completely from the place of the north, and when we see with some of the stuff that she does, it is something else. So we, we skip her. We skip the one before. We skip some after. We go right over to Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. That's exactly the order it went. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. That is all of the kings of the southern tribe of Judah, except for the ones in this story. We have the son of Jehoshaphat, and that's it. We skip all the rest of them. So the Bible is trying to tell us this is a bad section. (laughs) All right? We had the curse mixed in with the blessing. And in the in Matthew's account, he just amputated it. He cut it right out. We don't even need those people. We don't need to mention those people. Those people were not in the plan of God. They got in there, but they're not supposed to be. Now let's get over to the place where it really gets into the detail of this thing. <clears throat> in Second Chronicles chapter 21. And we're going to see, that even though that Jehoshaphat had, uh, that this great failure came into this, this house. We're going to see where it, its roots were. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his father in the city of David. Then Jehoram, or Joram, his son reigned in his place and his brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehael, Zechariah, Azab, well, whatever that one was, Micael and Shaphatai. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram. Why? Because he was the firstborn. Was he the called one? Was the anointed one? Was the one who followed after God the most? Why did he do it? Because he was the firstborn. That's the way kings do it. The most God-fearing, one of the most God-fearing kings in Judah's history doesn't ask God which son to put on the throne. The king who comes into the meeting they have and says, can we get God's word on whether we should go into battle or not? The same king who goes in the battle with his son and says, can't we get God's word whether we should do this or not? Doesn't get God's word on who should reign in his place. Out of all these sons, he married one of them to the house of Ahab. And apparently, the house of Ahab was very influential on this particular young man. So he gave, a father, gave all the other sons great things, but uh, Jehoram, he gave the kingdom. Verse 4. Now, when Jehoram was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Anyone who was in line for the throne, he killed them, including all of his brothers. Where is Messiah supposed to come from? The line of David. And now one of those of the house of David just killed all the other brothers. Plus a bunch of princes. Think it might have been a good idea if Jehoshaphat would have asked God? You saw last week he knew what uh, Hazael was going to do. Don't you think he would have known what this guy was going to do? Don't you think he would have said, if you put him in place, he's going to kill all your sons? But he waited until he was established over the kingdom of his father. He strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was thirty two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He brought this evil in. He had a great father. He had a father who feared God. He had a father who believed God in very troubled times, and God delivered. Remember uh, first Chronicles twenty. Put the praisers in front. And they went out against that huge multitude and won the battle. Without even fighting. So David's house is eternally blessed. Ahab's house is eternally cursed. And now they are merged. Now, I've already said this to you, but three are anointed, commissioned to wipe out the house of Ahab. Elisha, Jehu, and Hazael. We're going to have to wait to the chapters that are come to get into some of the things that go on with Jehu. But you understand some of these things once we lay the foundation of it here. Verse... um, 7 of chapter 21. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant covenant that he made with David and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that is the difference. It is not is the blessing stronger than the curse. It is which side has the covenant. Mm -hmm. The covenant is eternal. Mm -hmm. The covenant cannot be broken. There was no covenant involved in the curse of Ahab's house. But there was a covenant with the blessing of David's. It's the covenant that wins out over all things. We do not have to weigh out does this curse outweigh this blessing? All we have to do is find out what side is the covenant on? Whatever it is that we face in our own lives, what side is the covenant on? When David stands up and goes out to battle against the... Against Um, Goliath. Remember the thing that he says? This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. By the way, lions and bears are not circumcised. The reason for that? They're not in the covenant. The circumcision was part of the covenant. It It distinguished them from everyone else in the world and set apart the covenant of God. What David is saying is I have the covenant. He doesn't. It's not the blessing and the curse. It's the covenant. He says I have the covenant. This uncircumcised Philistine, this Philistine who is not in covenant with our God, cannot stand against me who is in covenant with the God, with our God. That's really what it comes down to. We look at the blessing and the cursing. It's not the blessing and the cursing. It's the covenant. And that's it. Whoever is in the side of the covenant, that's the one. And now we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. That shows the sign of the covenant. So when we have the sign of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, we're on the side of the covenant. There is no curse that is greater than the covenant. Not by man, not by Satan, and not by God. No curse can overwhelm the covenant. So I I just think it's it's, it's a curse by God. Even a curse by God cannot overwhelm the covenant. Remember when God is ready to pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel? What does Moses go out and get? The covenant. (laughs) You cannot curse. (laughs) Remember when Balak and Balaam were up on the mountain? You cannot curse the people of God, is what it said. They're in covenant. You can't curse them. That's how powerful the covenant is. It's not a matter of whether our blessing is greater than the curse that comes against us. It's how great the covenant is. That's all that needs to be. What side is the covenant on? That's the winning side. That's it. Nothing else needs to be known. Whether the curse comes from God, Satan, or man. It is not greater than the covenant. And that's all there is to it. So even though this foolish king, Jehoshaphat, merged his house with a house that was condemned, the covenant still went out over the curse. Hmm. What a what a God. Well, verse uh, eight. In his days, the Edomites revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. This is similar to what we already read. So Jehoram went out with his officers and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus the Edomites had been a revolt against Judah's authority to this day. At that time, Libnah revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. That is just, that's, that's who this guy was. He made high places in the mountains of Judah, not Israel, Judah, and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit harlotry and led Judah astray. Caused them. I don't know how forceful he had to be with them, but he led them into this kind of idolatry. Now, I don't know if you know about this or not, but Elijah wrote a letter in verse 12. And a letter came to him from Elijah. The prophet saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David. Most of the times Elijah comes, he, he comes in person. Mm-hmm. I, think he, I think most think most time he gets pleasure in seeing the fear come on people <laughs> when he delivered the message. I, I just get that idea about Elijah. He just enjoys that. Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father or in the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlot of the house of Ahab, And also have killed your brothers, those of your father's household, who were better than yourself. What makes someone better in God's eyes? If their heart is soft to him, if they're a follower, that's what makes them better. So what God is saying is that the most unrighteous, unholy of all the sons of Jehoshaphat was made king. And he killed the ones who had holiness in them. Who had God fearing in them. And he killed them. Where do you think that came from? Right from the heart of the enemy. Because the enemy is always out trying to, to cut off the seed of Messiah. whole Testament is about cutting off that seed. He tried to pollute the seed with the um, um, fallen angels that came down to the daughters of men. And then the uh, flood wiped out the first group of them. Second group comes along and Israel's is supposed to wipe them out when they go and they battle Canaan. And David is the one who takes on the last of them. Saul wiped out quite a few of them too. but then finally, the last of those ones are, are all killed off and they're gone. Then he tried to get Israel to be judged so that God would wipe them all out. He got half of them. got 10 of the nations judged and they were all dispersed. I'm, I don't know if you knew about this or not, but um, I was just listening to somebody who was talking about, apparently they have a ministry over there in the Middle East. and do some things. How many of y'all know the Kurds? You know the Kurds' DNA is the closest, closest to Jewish DNA? Of anyone in the region, and if you go back in history and you look at the ten tribes of the north, that were carried off into Nineveh, which is one of the towns that the Kurds are in. They're not in Nineveh, but the the, the ancient town Nineveh, that area is, is called something else, Mosul or something like that. I think it is. I think that's the name of the town. But the Kurds had the closest DNA to the to the to the Jewish people. But of course, they brought them in and they mixed than with everybody else, but that's, that's who's there. And, and the Kurds are one of the few Muslim nations that actually allow Muslims to convert. I don't know if you knew about that. I didn't know about that until till recently. They actually uh, allow folks to, uh, to convert, and they have a religious freedom in, uh, amongst them. So if you heard anything about the Kurds, anyway, that's, uh, that's the other side of the story that I'm sure that they probably aren't telling Uh, Verse 14. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions, and you will become very sick with a disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. All right. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sure doesn't sound pleasant. It sounds about as, as bad as it could be. Oh, man. The Lord will strike your people with a serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. That's what's coming upon his, his house. So that's Elisha's letter, Elijah's letter that he wrote. He's, uh, he's pronouncing some things upon him. Verse 16, Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons and his wives. So there was not a son left to him except Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. He killed off all of his father's sons and the enemy came in and carried off all of his. Except for the youngest. Not sure why they left the youngest, but they left the youngest. After all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. Then it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness so he died in severe pain. It wasn't even quick. It was over a two-year period. Can you imagine that? I like this this, uh, next part here. And his people made no burning for him like the burning for his father. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Israel, or in Jerusalem, eight years, and to no one's sorrow departed. (laughs) No one cared that he died. (laughs) When they said he died... Oh, man, that's good news. Whoever comes next has got to be better than that guy. However, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. They wouldn't even bury him in the tombs of the king, even though he was a king. For eight years he was a king. To no one's sorrow. I just... What a a way to put that. So in the question of which is, is greater, God's blessings or God's curses, it is no contest. When one side has the covenant. One side will have the covenant. And we have the covenant. That means whatever is stacked up against us, no matter what it is, it loses. Because we're in the covenant. We've got to get that mindset that David had. This uncircumcised Philistine. Because whatever disease is coming against you, folks, hasn't been circumcised. Whatever item, whatever person, whatever thing is coming against you, they are not in covenant with God if they're coming against you. We have I put this in your outline. We have one now with God covenant. So there is no curse whether from God, man or the enemy that is greater. Now with that in mind, what place then has fear? What place has fear? When David came up against Goliath, the entire army of Israel was in fear. And David, a young lad, wasn't even a warrior yet, comes on out against him and the Philistine laughs at him. But everyone else is in fear. Because they don't understand covenant. How much more? I mean covenant is not Old Testament. We got a new covenant, but we still have a covenant. The new covenant includes everything the old covenant did, plus he just added to it. They took stuff away, like you don't have to sacrifice all the time. Jesus is the sacrifice. We're not covering up sin anymore. We bought and paid for it. You're not going to Abraham's bosom anymore. You die, you go right to heaven. The Holy Spirit doesn't inhabit places anymore. He inhabits you. We have a better covenant. But we still have a covenant. And we are the ones that are in covenant with God. Even if people that are lined up against us are in covenant with Satan. And I have heard people that have done this. They're in covenant with Satan. If they, if they are, if they get that kind of thing. But covenant with God. Satan's already lost that battle. Satan already wound up against God. Didn't last very long. <laughs> battle was over pretty quick. He was done. He loses that battle. There is nothing that can overcome us if we stay mindful of the covenant. But we could be like the rest of the army of Israel that David was walking through and being fear. Be hiding, cowering away. Even though we're in covenant, it's not doing us any good unless we walk out with it. There is no curse that is greater than the blessings of God when we're on the side of His covenant. Nothing. Nothing can come against you. Now, you've heard that Psalm, you know, the uh, the 91st Psalm? Though a thousand may fall at your right side and so forth and all that sort of thing. And you all know who that was written for? that was written for the people in the wilderness the Israelites in the wilderness mm-hmm. because after God pronounced judgment upon all the, old pe- all the older people mm-hmm. the younger people were there in 40 years 2 to 4 million people are going to be dying mm-hmm. if you add that up you're, I think the, the numbers are somewhere like 30 to 40 a day somewhere in the neck of the woods now some days were higher than others But what he's writing that to them is you guys are going to be surrounded by death for 40 years. But don't let that get into you. Because life is on your side. And though people are falling to your left and people are falling to your right, though plagues come and they hit these folks and they're dying, it will not come near you. Because those folks have been declared to be dead in order to get, before, in order for you guys to get in, but you folks, God's taken in. You younger generation, God has taken you in. He's taking you into the Promised Land. So He's keeping that in mind. No matter what it is that goes to our left, no matter what it goes on on our right, just keep in mind, we're in covenant with God, and there is nothing greater than that covenant. God says, "All that I have is yours." All you have is mine. But we have his entire arsenal at our disposal. Whom shall I fear? Father, we thank you that you show us pictures like this in the Word of God. No matter what it is that comes against us, those that are on our side are far greater. For we are in covenant with the Most High God, and you will bring about your promises. You will bring about your blessings. And no curse of this world, no curse from man, no curse from the enemy can overcome the blessings on our side because we're in covenant with you. Help us to stay mindful of that because if we don't stay mindful of it. We don't walk in it. We become just like all of the Israel army, hiding out in tents, hiding out in caves because they're afraid of the giant. We have no need to fear for we are covenant with the God of all gods, the Lord of all lords. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.